insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. Marco. Sean. Can you visualize this conversation? You never know where I want to go, do you? No, lately I'm I'm scared. Honestly, they're getting weird, weirder <laughs> and, and weirder. <laughs> but I, I can visualize. I'm getting that weirder and weirder, but I but I am uh, <laughs> starting things weirder and weirder. That's for sure. Well, you know, no. I I have uh, I'm prepared, so yes, I can visualize, but I can also prioritize. Yes, that's uh, <laughs> that's clearly the two things that we need to do, especially when we're talking about risk management and. Uh, for most things in life, I think if, if you can't see where you want to go and, and understand the risk that you might have uh, getting there and, and visualize that in a way that you can talk about it and, and hopefully mitigate the risk uh, on your journey, then you're kind of missing the point. But uh, that's not for me to say, Marco. That's not no. for me to say. I can say it because I know, I know the space well, but uh, saying it and doing it are two different things too. So let, let's get into it. For, for folks watching, they, they see our guests sitting there going, hey, when am I going to jump in here? <laughs> for those <laughs> listening, we do have a guest. It's not just me and Marco. And uh, we, we have Ahmad joining us from Brinka. Thanks, Ahmad, for, for being on. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Marco, for having me today. Yeah, yeah I'm, it's, I'm it's great to have you. Yeah, we, we are excited. And yes, I can visualize. And that, that was very okay. nice of you, Sean, to, to ask me if I can do that. Because, you know, I, I have some, uh, some imagination on my, on my side. And, and this is what we call an origin story. So every time we, we talk with a, about the, how a company got started, what the vision is behind it, the why, I, I just figure like it's really kind of like the hero journey. Like in the in the in the story that we that we read and the movie that we watch, but it's real. So th this is real. This is the company that you you got going. So I'm I'm curious to know how that happened. So why not start yeah. with you telling us a little yes, bit about your, your, your own journey? Your yeah, own journey. no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, just briefly for folks who are not familiar with Brinka, you know, we are a vulnerability management platform that um, allows organization to aggregate their security findings, vulnerabilities, known issues across their attack surfaces, which includes data center applications, as well as cloud uh, nowadays. And then, as Sean was alluding to, enrich that with threat intelligence, business context, so we can really prioritize things that matter the most to an organization and then help orchestrate and remediate that. So that's briefly about what Brinka does. Brinka has been around um, for a little over 13 years. Um, we 
I've had an interesting journey, um, perhaps a little bit different from a typical startup nowadays. Uh, this is my second uh, company. Uh, we're based in Austin, Texas. I'm in Northern California. My previous company was, I started in uh, Los Angeles and ended up selling to Sun Microsystems in 2008. Uh, that's where I met my, my partner in crime, Hilda Perez, who is a co-founder of the company and also our employee number one, uh, Will Drosty. Uh, really, really smart guy, and uh, the the coming out of that experience of the first uh, startup um, it was in cybersecurity around identity access management. We were using machine learning before it was cool to use machine learning in cybersecurity uh, to drive people's access and roles and really understand. And uh, as we were at Sun, and I was looking to uh, do uh, see what's next, I want to do one of the areas we. Uh, heard a lot about is around risk management and ability to take a data-driven approach to risk management. Uh, if you go back to 2007, 2008, risk management was all about, or cybersecurity risk management is very, was all subjective, is all opinions. If, if a mod thinks that my risk is high or low, that's what I'm reporting. Uh, we're not really actually using what controls are really put in place, what the outcomes of those controls are how should we understand and uh, look at their impact? So we decided to start Brinka to take a really data-driven approach to risk management or cybersecurity risk management, because we believe that this data already exists, but it needs to be consumed and processed and reported. And as you guys talked about, really visualize and, and prioritize. So, so Ahmad, I mean, so many questions already for me, but, mm -hmm. um, I think, well, let's just dig into it. I mean, when, mm -hmm. one of the, the, so you talk about bringing data together and risk management. One of the, one of the things that always comes to mind when I, when I think about risk is well, what's the, what's the scope mm -hmm. <laughs> that you're looking at? And you, you touched on uh, vulnerabilities and you touched on things in the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of paint the picture for us what you're looking at yeah and and yeah where, where's the scope for for where you start and stop absolutely so i think that's an interesting question because when we started brinka the scope or your attack surface was pretty much your perimeter right things that you knew in terms of your inside your firewall over the last 15 years things have changed so now when we talk about the scope and the attack surface we look at everything that could be exploited so that's your traditional uh, servers, desktops, workstation, but also code, uh, application security, uh, looking at, you know, we people are using, people have a lot of developers, organizations have these GitHub repositories, uh, they're man managing digital certificates, secret keys, APIs, they're all part of the scope. And then you move to the cloud and you're looking at runtime, you're looking at Lambda functions, you're looking at data storage. So the when we look at the scope, we're talking about your entire attack surface, uh, essentially anything that is either exposed externally or not. And as Sean, you, you know, with the zero trust, there is no such thing as um, boundaries or perimeters anymore. So that that is a, that is the scope for us. It's your entire attack surface. And then the second part is, well, what are the known gaps? Uh, we, we're dealing with known knowns. Uh, to quote Donald Rumsfeld, you know, <laughs> you, you uh, remember that press conference, but this is known knowns. We're not talking about things that we need to discover, right? There's a lot of tools and, and technology that uh, organizations have invested in 
to determine and to to find these these gaps, either vulnerabilities, so unpatched software, end of life, obsolete stuff, or misconfiguration in the cloud, or using a third party uh, library in the code that's it has a license issues. All of these things are reported. Now you need to correlate it to those assets and prioritize because not everything is uh, going to be critical for business. Not everything is going to be, you know, we need to go fix it right away because there's there's a cost associated with the response aspect of it. So that's to just to wrap up the first part of your, your question around the scope. That's when, when we talk about vulnerability or risk, we're looking at the variety of assets and we're looking at the known um, uh, gaps or security findings that exist already in, in an organization. So that, that information exists um, through one or more tools. And so you're, you're bringing that in to then do some, do some fun magic with, <laughs> I presume, yeah. right? Yeah. To, uh, to really, mm -hmm. I guess, is it the context of of the environment and, yeah. and the business? And so, mm -hmm. where does that where does that stuff come from? Comes from like yeah, that's internal absolutely. other intelligence, uh, yeah, business yeah. market stuff. Where, where is that coming from? Uh, multiple sources, um, threat intel sources, multiple uh, threat intelligence sources uh, that exist. They're in open source format. There's commercial feeds. Uh, normally, you know, we we have. 16 or 17 different feeds out of the box, but organization could have other commercial feeds that they integrate with. What we're looking for is real-time, up-to-date information, things that are mentioned in social media, things that are trending, things that are zero-day or being exploited in the wild as, as uh, what's referred to commonly. Uh, and then combining that with the business context. And that's where things get a little tricky, right? Where... Uh, it seems obvious that the business context would exist in any organization, but it turns out that it's all over the place. There's not a real clean repository of information where you can just go a tap in and say, you know, what is this asset? Who owns it? What does it do? What kind of business function it performs or what kind of business service it supports? Uh, so Brinka as part of this um, uh, setup or part of this, um, what we call a building of our knowledge graph is connecting those dots. So we would, connect to CMDBs, um, spreadsheets, data lakes, um, any source of information that can get us a little bit about what that asset could be, could be supporting, where it exists, or so network monitoring tools. But we also have dynamic ways of uh, using patterns to recognize either there's a naming convention, either there's network range, either there's uh, tags. Uh, so unfortunately, in the broader set of cyber and IT, there is a lack of standardization or sort of a blueprint for how to organize or how to map the assets to the business services. But we filled that gap with the number of um, methods that I just described. But that's essentially the goal to get to a really con build a context that helps us to prioritize uh, in a way that makes sense to a business owner, not just a technical person. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking migrations from on-premises to the cloud might change some of that stuff. Uh, M&A, certainly, the, the mm -hmm. lack of standards or commonality yeah. across that. And you just end up with this really crazy yeah. environment. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, go ahead. Go, oh, go ahead, Ahmad. No, no, no. I wanted I was, to finish your thought. I, I was just going to finish on that point where I think the, with the digital transformation, even though the cloud is still sort of under 10% of 
IT, um, there there are things that we're doing a little bit better, I would say. When people are moving, you know, there's not just a rip and replace from on-prem to cloud. So people, organizations are organizing this data into accounts, into proper tags. We can do a perhaps better job, uh, but at least it's 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 improved in, in this migration. So I think this cloud migration or digital transformation has provided us an opportunity to better um, structure and organize um, and assign ownership. So the uh, post-incident workflow or processes could be more predictable and automated. Got it. So what I'm what I want to go back here is into where you picture, where you presented, and I go back to Sean's visualization, right? So mm -hmm. I feel like when you said, you know, machine learning wasn't cool when we started, but it was there. So you had this vision. And so here's the first mm -hmm. reference to vision visualization. But also I feel like now the environment, it's it's not really a static picture anymore. It's it's a dynamic environment. So mm -hmm. you can't just say, took this picture, did the compliance, yeah. I'm good. Come back yeah. in a year, right? Yeah. So because things happen, it's a it's a moving picture. Yeah. And I'm I'm wondering as you have had this vision of machine mm -hmm. learning to be used. I mean, we've gone a long way with AI now, and yeah. you know, I'd like to know what, what has been the the journey since when you started to yeah. where you are now. Yeah, and absolutely, I think that's a very good point. the The static nature of the security uh, reporting and uh, measurement changed. And it used to be very compliance driven, right? You have auditors coming in. You need to generate this report. It's a maybe a yearly audit, maybe it's a uh, quarterly audit, but that was the frequency of things. And over the last you know 15 years, we went from that yearly, quarterly to now daily. Uh, it, it's no longer a reactive thing. The reporting aspect of it, we're consuming this data on a daily basis. We're on an average connecting to 75 or more different sources of information, different security tools, data sources in an organization and bringing that, processing all this data, stitching it together, prioritizing. So there's a lot of processing, uh, compute aspect happens on a daily basis. And then the, uh, the risk is reported. So it's no longer uh, a quarterly thing or a monthly thing. As I said, it's, it's very much, um, Things are changing. You have new instances being launched in the cloud. New projects are being started. People are putting data in the storage or S3 bucket. It's constantly being discovered, constantly being scanned, constantly being analyzed and reported. So that's it's it's a pretty big shift. The product we were building in 2008, 2009 had to uh, evolve over the years into a product that actually is is you know, near real-time uh, reporting and um, and responding to the changing uh, landscape as well, right? The new products are being launched. So we're constantly developing these new integrations. Uh, similarly, the types of assets, back to Sean's question, is used to be a server, a desktop, now a Lambda function, or going forward, I can see these LLMs, these large learning models would be a source of, uh, uh, problem for for a lot of uh, folks the apis that are interacting with them so it's going to change and we're going to involve and bring us pretty well suited because the way we have structured our uh, platform to dynamically adjust and change um and and and, and react to um the the ever-changing landscape of the assets 
And I'm wondering, still talking about this, how has been the conversation with your customers and how it has been changing? Like, yeah. you know, like maybe some case studies, maybe some industry that have seen these as a huge benefit to start with. And then, you know, there's always the, the first comers and then the other follow. Um, yeah. You know, the, how is received yeah. by, by the customer? How was received and how is, I'm yeah. assuming a lot of company now, they are looking for these. Well, before maybe you had to sell it more. True. Absolutely. You know, when we started, uh, the the complexity was still there in the organization. Uh, but again, it, it if you're a large company, um, you know, your Fortune 500 uh, organization, that problem is unmanageable for you. But if you're a smaller organization, you have s smaller data sets, your network is fairly small, you have a few number of users, uh, you could manage it without something like Brinka. So early on, and, you know, since we're talking about the origin story, uh, Brinka has been bootstrapped from day one uh, or was bootstrapped up until 2021. So, you know, for, for most part of our existence, we had to sell our software, like the good old old fashioned way, make money and use that money to innovate and pay people as well. So we always targeted customers that had the real problem, could, 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 could uh, put value to it and give us the opportunity as well. And that was the, the larger organization. But over the last, you know, as I said, 10 plus years, the, the number of security controls, the number of security tools increased, the data volume and variety increased where that, where it used to be Fortune 500 moved down market and anybody even at Brinka size has the same problem as your top retailer or airline in the world because we are using on the average 7,500 different security tools. As Sean would tell you, security loves to do best of breed. Security doesn't believe, you know, in the let's go and adapt Oracle or IBM, a platform. We're going to go and for this particular control, it's tool A, tool B. So you end up with the, this of complex environment. And uh, so our customer base or our use case, where in the early days was appealing to a large organization because of the volume, is now resonates across the board, across the industries or verticals uh, because of the, the complexity that, that is cybersecurity today. So I wanna, I wanna touch on um, the, the, the bootstrap point. Um, it's no secret that uh, there's a lot of, a lot of investors looking to uh, make money on investments in cybersecurity. And uh, certainly no lack of uh, companies that uh, want, want money to help them grow faster and solve problems faster for their, for their organizations. But I, I, think, I think there's, there's some unique value to customers when an organization is, is bootstrapped. Because I, I think, I don't know, I, I want to get your perspective, but th th I think the yeah. risk, uh, the risk innovation equation yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. where, where reality strikes uh, looks a little different in, in that situation. So tell me a little bit about that. True. You know, that has been my experience. I'm sure people who have gone and raised in hundreds of millions of dollars before even having a product, I'm sure have a different experience and they can speak to that. But what I know that what worked for us, um, now I would say one thing, 
you know, because of my previous exit, I was fortunate to be able to fund that, fund my own company. I was the initial investor for first five years. And, um, you know, if we talk about the entrepreneurship, I mean, there is something to be said about access to capital. I mean, you can have a great idea. You can be the smartest guy in the room. Capital is, is still pretty key. Uh, now, how much capital is what need is, is debatable, I think. And that's where I took the path of, we're going to build a product that's used by customers. There's a value and, you know, initial funding, I'll do it myself. Now, when you, the approach I took, and yes, we couldn't go, you know, very fast on sales and marketing, couldn't spend a lot of money building a network of, of advisors and, and uh, a spokesperson couldn't get the biggest booth at Star RSA or, uh, Black Hat, you know, uh, couldn't definitely get the boxing ring going at, at our booth. But um, but what our focus was, well, customers and product. Because if you're if you're not good at or you don't have money to spend on sales or big offices or beanbags or ping pong tables, you better have a really good product that somebody's willing to pay money for. So our entire company, everybody who worked had single focus. We need to build a product that's used by customers, solves a real problem. You make money. So you're, you're, you know, it's easier or people talk about a customer centric, but it's very different when you know that down to a support engineer, that what they're doing and how they respond to this ticket is going to result into a renewal or upsell or expansion into that account. So that really helped us and allowed us to, to be very laser sharp focus on our product and capabilities. We had to differentiate, we had to win. You know, it's not an option to win one of the 10 deals. We had to win five of the 10 deals. So I think that just made us a better product company. And now with the, the funding that we did take eventually, now we're spending on sales and marketing and, and other areas as well, but it, it helps us to build on a really solid foundation. Um, Personally, I, I just, you know, my personality, I just couldn't risk somebody else's money or that amount of money on, on an idea. It didn't feel right to me that unless I can see this working, I'm going to go to Sean and say, Sean, write me a $100 million check. And you're right. There is a lot of money out there. And it's a bit of a sometimes a gamble as well uh, for, for investment. But my approach was real problem, real solution. We can make money. Now it's about how do we scale this organization and do things that we couldn't do organically. Well, I think there's a big lesson here in, in, in for the business world and, I don't know, many organizations in, in general. And also, I think it reflects on the view on, on the info security industry, where if you had the money, yeah, let me get everything I can. And I'm going to show that I'm really secure because I got up this, 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 and this. But then if there is no coordination, if there is no synergy, if there is not a vision, then what, what you got? You got a lot of stuff and you're still not resolving the problem. So the fact that you're going concentric starting from I'm going to resolve this and then eventually grow on that, I think it pays. And I think it did for you, for sure. You know, Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Um, are you and still think, gonna go with that in the future? <laughs> I'm gonna. I mean, next time around, answer the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I. I don't know. That's a very good question. I've thought about it. Uh, I, I think I've learned lessons. I think there's positives and negative. I think you can probably do a hybrid of something, uh, mm. where uh, you know, if I do this again, uh, it has taken. It's you know, 15 years. That's that's a long time. It's taken longer than I hoped. 
and it's been tougher than I thought. But I don't know if there's a, uh, you know, it, grass is always greener on the other side. Um, I think you got to trade true to yourself. You know what you're good at and you know what you're not at this point in my career and life. So I think if I do something again, I'll probably stay close to my character and what has worked for me versus trying to go uh, to, to catch some new shiny object or approach. Yeah. So I think if they're with a lot of freedom and perhaps a lot of runway um, because of a, a large mm -hmm. uh, amount of capital, uh, some companies have the, have the freedom to do A-B tests with product features or A-B-C-D-E-F tests with product features to see what sticks. And if you're more focused, which it sounds like you were from the beginning, um, you have that A test, right? Mm -hmm. does, does A mm -hmm. work? And you better mm -hmm. get A right um, mm -hmm. to, to keep moving forward, which tells me, um, one, you're smart, and or two, you have connections with people that, that had a problem that they were able to communicate to you, which then goes back to your smart and can understand what they're telling you to then build something that they can actually use and value. So to talk to me about mm -hmm. the, maybe a, a use case. And I don't know if, uh, if there, if you want to pick a company story, uh, mm -hmm. trust or app, app attack service. And there's a couple mm -hmm. on your website there. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about a, a scenario in an organization where, your focus on what you're delivering nailed it for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, um, you're absolutely right about the focus, right? I think that I'll, I'll come back to the, I'll come to the use case in a minute, but uh, it's very, just as an entrepreneur and folks are listening, um, it, it's very tempting when you have a large sum of capital that you could deploy uh, to get distracted. Uh, see some use case that feels adjacent, you feel like you have smart engineers, your product can probably do it, and it's going to cost us X amount of dollars. Okay, we have it. Why not go for it for that? And um, it, it's 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 really it's really hard to say no to a lot of things, and you have to get really good at it. You're going to say yes to very very few things, and for us, it was always stay true to what we do well. There's a big market, and why did I? How did I know there's a big market? Is because you know, Sean, I don't think I'm smart, but I think I know a lot of smart people who told me a real problem and said, if you can solve and address this, which is, you know, DTCC, uh, Department uh, Trust and Clearing Corporation uh, in New York, been our customer uh, for quite some time, and they, you know, they develop a lot of software. Is for a lot of financial services, you, you don't, you can't just go buy software off the shelf and uh, for that type of organization they need a very specialized so uh, specialized software so they have a huge uh, large volume of developers writing code but it needs to be secure uh, so they don't want to stop the the developers from going through their uh, releases and putting uh, features and functions out but they also wanted to make sure that there is a governance layer which is really and security layer which is really integrated in the developer life uh, cycle and, and work experience and that's where Brinka came in where we automated and orchestrated their entire application security platform uh, application security needs to uh, look at the projects, look at the type of application and invoke the certain types of controller checks. And based on that, determine 
can it be moved to production? Can it be moved to UAT? Sort of go through the whole life cycle or not and have gatekeeping um, events throughout that process. So really helped developers to think in terms of you know, when they're putting ready to put the code out and provide feedback throughout the way in, in a very secure way, but, but without slowing them down. And so it's a very data-driven, really well integrated into a developer um, experience as well as delivering a visibility to the management so they can pinpoint and look at their portfolio application, the teams, how they're working. So really get analytics, what team is doing better than you know A versus B. Um, and uh, um, looking at the third party library. So there's, there's a number of aspects that we provided them visibility into uh, that enabled them to, um, again, continue with the core use case, their bank or their financial services organization, that's their main job, that's what the developer should be working on, but making sure that they're delivering secure code through Brinka's um, risk management and, and ability to aggregate and prioritize. So they're not just going and trying to fix everything that's reported, they can fix things that really matter. And that's, that's what we have done and we have done that for a number of customers. And that's been a huge value uh, for DTCC. I love it. And I won't put you on the spot uh, as if I was talking to a systems engineer or sales <laughs> solution architect here, but an overview of kind of how you fit into the operations of an organization, what teams yeah. uh, in, to interact with your, your service, yeah. uh, your offering and, and yeah, how much is on prem, yeah. how much is in the cloud, all that kind of stuff to kind yeah. of help people understand where you fit into things. Right. So I generally, where obviously a buyer is the CISO um, organization. Uh, normally there's a, a vulnerability management team or application security team, or nowadays with the cloud security dedicated team. One of them is a buyer. However, that's generally where we start. And at the end, um, they're all stakeholders uh, because their data is flowing through Brinka. Um, in, in the single console and single platform. We're a cloud-based solution. We do have some on-prem components because, again, we understand that this world is always going to be hybrid. Um, you're not going to have 100% cloud. There's always other components. Uh, so we we have a, a, a variety or we can support on-prem sources as well. Um, our the you asked for the users and that's where i'll go back to marco's question as well early you know what has changed it used to be that we were targeting and selling to the technical system administrator vulnerability managers or analysts and today the most users who log into brinka console are business users business managers application service owners they're not technical they just need to come in, they need to know what's important, what they need to work on for this next sprint. If they're a developer, if they're a manager, they wanna make sure that if the key systems and applications they're supporting are um, have the right level of risk and threshold. So uh, so the, the, the audience is actually um, pretty diverse for us, non-technical folks, the day-to-day -day users who are managing and supporting Brinka, which is the CISO's organization. So, <clears throat> Yeah, I, I like that picture, and and what it raises for me is kind of what what happens. What's the, what's the outcome here mm -hmm. um, for those different roles? Uh, we're talking about visual visualization mm -hmm. and prioritization, which I presume drives mm -hmm. decisions and, and right. improves protection uh, posture of the protection and reduces risk. Um, 
so who who benefits from this and what, what kind of what's the outcome yeah what, what what's how does the world look differently for an engineer differently for secops differently for volman and, and risk management and those those kind of roles yeah yeah you're right in terms of you know the end goal is to reduce risk now that's a pretty loaded statement probably vague as well what does that even mean we want people to actually as i said in the beginning these are known knowns um brinka is trying to help organization focus on things that matter the most at the end of the day. So we're not describing new information. This information exists. Now we're trying to narrow it down. So the goal is to create actions where people do patch things that are critical or in, install patches or if they're end of life operating system or softwares that you have running, you do decommission and remove that. By removing that, you're reducing risk. If you have access or misconfiguration in the cloud or using a third party libraries in your code or you have bad uh, coding uh, or code that could cause some harm, you, you're fixing and addressing that. So at the end of the day is making sure that there's a takeaway for any audience uh, if it's your developer, you're, you're fixing that code. Your uh, ops, you have an incentive and understanding of doing that. Now, a lot of time there's a misconception that, you know, uh, developers don't want to ch change code or ops doesn't want to fix things or there's too many vulnerabilities we can't patch. And part of that is, uh, what I found is it's not that people don't want to do the work, is security often has a hard time presenting this data to their audience or in a way that makes sense to them and drives actions. If you present somebody with 1 million vulnerability in a spreadsheet, I can guarantee you, you no, many, no matter how many colors you use to you know, change the columns, it's gonna drive zero action. But if you say, you know what, these are the top three things or four things, if you do this month, that's good. For rest, you have 90 days or three. It's a collaborative, it's a very sort of constructive a way of reducing risk and at the same time for management to really understand the ROI in terms of what is getting better you know or maybe there is a dependency why do we have so many open source libraries that have these issues why don't we decommission something or maybe there's a framework that we we should you know adopt and that will reduce so you do look at things holistically you do things like in terms of progress and improvements and that's what you know, management looks for. I'm running a company when my team comes and asks for more money for A or B, my question generally is what happened to the money we've already spent? And security always had a hard time answering that question. Now this enables you, that's, that's the other outcome. If you're looking to go and provide a, a ROI in, in, in terminology that your CFO or your board members, your CEO can understand, then you need to show progress. You need to show improvement on fundamental in a basic level. And that's that those are the sort of outcomes we're, we're looking for. I mean, the, you had me a few moments ago when uh, you, you were describing actually changing the way the company operates to get rid of things that are always vulnerable and requiring patches and mm -hmm. eating up teams times and all that stuff. And I mean, very rarely do we hear that. Uh, yeah. It's it's always just reduce the time. Uh, mm -hmm. after the fact or yeah. or reduce the risk after the fact and i mean that's that's what the business of security is all about marco right well in my uh, in my dreams it become minimalist <laughs> and i like and i like this approach because it, I, I go back to what i said before it's more and more and more you need this you need this and the, you're, the way you're putting it is more like let, let's streamline let's you just said it let's let's avoid 
to have this very wide perimeter and entries and you know and i don't know in an ideal world there'd be security will be easy because the business yeah. will be easy but you know that's me yeah. thinking about the future which brings me to my famous mm-hmm. last question which is the future so where where do you see uh brinka go from here and what what is that you're looking into as your yeah. next uh step um So thinking hat, yeah. futuristic hat on and go for it. You know, obviously take over the world and and land on the Mars and but <laughs> in all seriousness, you know, one of the reasons we we took the funding is to uh grow uh our teams and capacity um to able to serve a bigger customer base right the problem exists it's a real problem a lot of organizations struggle with operationalizing uh cybersecurity uh vulnerability management especially so our goal is to you know, expand into north america or across the globe we do ex- have customers across the globe but have local presence so the big investment uh, around that and just continuing building better ways and uh, improving and innovating our product um, i think that the opportunity is really huge in the 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 complexity um in our the way you know the digital world is is set up and working i think uh, is not going to reduce you know obviously we We'll probably do another podcast to talk about you know sort of this new ai and what is that going to do for cyber but if you go to bard or hey pie or one of these uh, chat bots you first thing you ask them about what are the harms of ai the one or first or second one is cybersecurity issues that are going to arise so we don't know what it means yet uh but i think it's um it's going to create opportunities uh for organizations like brinka to understand those attack surfaces understand how to model um again we're not going to be able to fix everything uh we're not going to uh solve every problem and it's, it's all going to come down to prioritization to what matter most and accepting certain amount of certain risks and um and 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 deciding what services and what products uh, that you want to uh, deploy so i think that's um you know continue to evolve with the changing landscape and uh having a capital and uh, a good private equity partner i think it gives us a lot of um runway to explore uh, these options yeah and i i love how you think amad um i mean this has been a, a great conversation for me i nerd out on on uh, risk management stuff and i i presume a lot of uh, our listeners do too at some level and I mean the the story's cool. I mean where Thank where you. you've come from and the focus that you've had and and the problem you're solving. I mean the data exists. We we know what's there. It it's just a matter of understanding mm-hmm. what's there and uh and streamlining things and simplifying things and making it possible to to make a difference. And uh it seems like that's what you're doing and uh I'm I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you. Excited to uh to see where things continue to go and of course uh we encourage folks to uh, to take a look at Brinka and what you're doing and and connect with you we'll we'll include your uh, your social profile there for folks to reach out and link to the website and all that good stuff so um any any final thoughts as as we wrap up here oh i thank you for for the opportunity this is you know a topic as you can tell very dear uh, near to my heart 
I've been doing this for so long and especially, you know, that bootstrap, you, you have to be either crazy or believe in what you're doing to continue as long as I have. And I ha do believe in this, probably this level of craziness as well. So I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Hope people found it interesting. Um, love to have more conversation. If anybody's out listening, uh, reach out to the uh, information that Sean and Marco are going to share. So thank you again, Marco. Uh, it's very, very nice talking to you both. Well, we want to thank you. We want to thank all the listener and the people that decided to watch this show because there is going to be both version and stay in touch with us. And again, there'll be a page where they'll find everything they need to know about, about Brinka. And yeah, I, I actually, you gave me, you gave me hope that my, my minimalist security dream <laughs> will come through one day. Yes. We'll see. Yep. We'll see how that is, but uh, I'm a little bit more positive than when we started. So that's good. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, Sean, let's say goodbye. I'm going to say goodbye with uh, brinqa.com. Yes. Brinqa.com. So, all right. So thanks, everybody. We'll uh, catch you on the next one. Ciao. Thank you, guys. See ya. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you for listening. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.